New series today, Goliath must fall. And the idea is that, that your giants have to fall before Jesus Christ. And so as we think about giants today, I thought about this. How many of you have heard the name Andre Rene Rusimov? Okay, a couple of you. A couple of you, right? Maybe you know him as his nickname, Andre the Giant. Now, my favorite picture of Andre is here. He's in The Princess Bride. He's the guy that likes to rhyme on The Princess Bride. And he gets in trouble. From, so this short guy over here, he's five foot two. Inigo Montoya, he's in the middle. He's six foot. I looked it up today. And then Andre is listed as seven foot four, 528 pounds. And if you ever watch WWE, which I don't, but hey, hey, not judging. Actually, I am. But um, anyway, if you watched it, you know that, that he had a record unbeaten streak of 15 years. And if you look it up, that's a huge exaggeration. Not that anything in WWE is ever exaggerated for promotional purposes. Um, But Andre the Giant, he was known as just this huge guy. Now, how many of you have ever fought a seven foot four, 528 pound giant? Nobody? I got hit by a 300 pound dude once when I was 145 pounds. That was special. I'm not making it up, dude. He hit me so hard, my eyes were crossed. I came out of the game and got, coach is like, why are you out of the game? I said, look at my eyes. Dude laid me out. And I was like, I don't want to do that again. Now, I doubt that you'll ever have to face a physical giant like Andre, right? But you have spiritual giants. And they're bigger and they're badder. They have much more influence in your life than Andre would. Um, these invisible giants, they have so much more power than the physical ones. Giants, like we mentioned, fear, addiction, anger, rejection, complacency. The problem with these giants is they taunt you day after day. The fear one was like, oh, we're coming after you. You know, I don't know if you've ever woken up in the middle of the night and just had this unbelievable paralyzing fear in, in the pit of your stomach. We've had that. And Janie and I just, we will say, the Lord rebuke you. Because I don't have power, but, but my God has power. I don't have authority, but if I'm under God's authority, I can say to the giant of fear, the Lord rebuke you, and he has to leave. And the fear of addiction, the fear of addiction says, you need me. You can't live without me. You can't cope in life without me. And you can say, the Lord rebuke you. And the, the, the giant of anger, the giant of anger is kind of a sneaky one sometimes. The giant of anger says, you owe me, right? And I'm going to make you pay. And the fear of rejection says nobody will ever love you. The last one left you, this one's going to leave you as well. And then the sneakiest one is the fear of complacency. And the fear of complacency is like this, you don't have to start today. You don't have to go back to church today. You don't have to go to small group today, just someday. And before you know it, years and years have gone by and you haven't been somewhere. Um, These these giants will say that, that... you will never be free and that you deserve the torment that they're giving you. And I think that, well, actually I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and you may be watching online because I've had conversations recently in this church in the last few months where people have said, I have been so tormented by demonic forces that I have cried and I have begged them to leave. I have screamed out, Satan, leave me alone. And they only laugh And taunt me some more. Well, here's good news for you today. God does not want you to be dominated by anything, demoralized by anything. He wants you to be free. He wants your giants to fall. But for that to happen, 
there's a price to pay. There's a price that's already been paid in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. There's a price you have to pay as you walk with Jesus Christ under his authority. And the price is what we're going to talk about. The price you need to pay is what we're going to talk about over these next six weeks. Now, I'm assuming, let's just ask, and you can answer this online, how many of you have heard of David and Goliath? If you're online, say yes. If you're in the room, say yes. Is there anybody who has not heard about David and Goliath? All right. The yeas have it. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. In the Old Testament, what's going on is the Israelites are fighting the Philistines. If you know anything about the Old Testament, it seems like the Israelites are always fighting the Philistines. That's because there's seven major battles between Israel and the Philistines in the Old Testament. Israel fought a whole lot of other uh, enemies and other nations, but the, the Philistines were almost a constant source of pain for them. When we get to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to come back to this over and over the next seven weeks, so get this in your mind. You may want to read it this week, 1 Samuel 17. So Saul is the first king king of Israel, very first king. Um, he was leading the Israelites into battle against the Philistines. And when I say leading, he wasn't leading them into battle. He was leading them to cower in fear because that's all that was happening. No battle was going on. When we start this story, there's a hero and you know him already. You know, the hero's David. Where's David? David's nowhere to be found. He's with the sheep. But as we'll learn in more detail later, God was exactly where God, uh, David was exactly where God wanted him to be. He was tending sheep with God. I want you to say with God. Because when he was tending sheep with God, God was training him for his next assignment. And his next assignment was to be king. But there's a lot of stuff this boy needed to learn before he became king. Now, Saul is in this, battle, in, in, in this valley. We'll talk about that in a second. He's without God. David is far from the battle with God. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. Why is this story of David and Goliath in the Bible? And I think there's several reasons, but at least one of them is so that all followers of God will know that all nine-foot, nine-inch giants must fall before the all-powerful God. They don't have to fall before you, and they know it. But they must fall before an all-powerful God. And evidently, most Christians don't comprehend this because we cower in fear just like the Israelites did. Now, you also need to realize that Goliath is not the only giant mentioned in the Bible. There's lots of giants in the Bible, and all the giants fall. For example, in 1 Chronicles 20, this is after David has defeated Goliath, but here's what I want you to see. It says this, in the course of time, war broke out with the Philistines. I told you, seven major wars at Gezer. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushite, killed Sipai. If you need some boy names, these are great. Sibachai. Sipai, one of the, <laughs> except you spit a lot when you say them. One of the descendants of the Rephites and the Philistines were subjugated. So there's, so here, look at this next verse, verse five. In another battle with the Philistines, Elhanan, there's a great boy name, son of Jair, killed Lami. I don't know if I like Lami. It sounds like a llama. Um, he killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite. Was Goliath a giant? Is it reasonable to infer that maybe his brother was a giant as well? Same gene pool? Yes who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. When we read that story, you'll see that one of the things was Goliath had a, had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. It just means it's a big fat spear, which means he's got big fat hands. He was killed. And still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. In case you can't count, it says 24 in all. The Bible wants you to be sure that you know how many fingers and toes this big man had. He was also descended from Rapha. When he taunted Israel, I love this, Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. 
These were the descendants of Rapha in Gath. Gath was where Goliath was from. And there were a whole lot of giants there. And they all fell at the hands of David and his men. Now, why the repetition about giants? I want you to get this at the beginning of our series. Giants are no match for God. I want you to say that out loud. Giants are no match for God. And if you just want to play along on Facebook, type that out. Giants are no match for God. Now, you remember when the, when the 12 spies, when, when Joshua was leading them and they were going to go to the promised land, they go in and spy out the promised land. This is actually when, when um, Moses was still leading them. They go in, they spy out the promised land. And what did they say? They said, oh, man, it's a great land, but there are giants there. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. So 10 of the spies says, we can't take them. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb said, we can take them. Our God's bigger. And they listened to the 10, and so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as punishment for not believing that giants are no match for God. So I want you to write the word my in front of that sentence. My giants are no match for God. And if you begin to believe that, then God's going to do some things in your life. Well, so if, if my giants are no match for God, then the next statement is my giants are no match for God's son. And, and this is going to be big in this whole series. Now, some of you are saying, Yes, but, because that's what you always say. Somebody will give you some advice. Yeah, but, you have this big but. When you say, you don't know, yes, but you don't know my giant, whether you realize it or not, here's what you're saying. You're saying, yes, but Jesus is big enough to leave heaven, to give up the glory of heaven, and come and to be born, to, to come into the womb of a virgin girl and be born and placed in a manger. He's big enough to do that. He's big enough to live a sinless life. He's big enough to be crucified as a substitute for our sins, be resurrected the third day to go back into heaven. And oh, by the way, he says right before he goes back to heaven, I'll be back. He said it long before Arnold ever said it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I'll be back. I didn't do a very good Arnold. You're saying he can do all of that, but he's not big enough to handle your giant. In fact, he's already handled your giant. He's already defeated your giant. Now, in small groups tonight, we're going to jump into this, and we're going to talk about this idea of dead but but still deadly, and it's like when you cut a head off of a poisonous snake, is there still poison in the head? Should you take a whole bunch of poisonous snake heads and just start juggling them? Only an idiot would. It's what we do when we allow the poisonous snake to live in our house. We open up the door and let him come in, and we just keep him around. I'll just keep the pornography just, just because. I'll, I'll keep this, this private message with this person of the opposite sex just because. You're juggling snakeheads, and you're going to get bit. And there's going to be poison, and it's going to be your fault because you injected it into yourself. If you'll come to small group, we're going to teach you how to walk in freedom. We're going to teach you about the price you're going to have to pay to get those demons out of your life. Now, as we approach this series with David and Goliath as a backdrop, we're going to discover some some things that will surprise you, some twists in the story that I think you didn't know because I've been a minister for almost 40 years now. I didn't know these things until just a few months ago. Here's twist number one. We are not David in the story of David and Goliath. My whole life, from Sunday school to youth camp, I never missed youth camp. I'd always miss a week of baseball season. My coach would say every year, don't go to baseball. I'm like, I'm going to follow God. You can do fine without me. We need you to play these two week, this week of baseball while you're gone. I'm like, too bad. Seven years, I never missed, sun, uh, never missed youth camp. My seventh year at youth camp is when God said, I want you to follow me and be a minister. 
And I don't know what they did with or without me. It didn't matter. It was two ball games. Who cares? But God did some great things in my life. But I was always told, you can be David. You can bow up your chest. You can pick up your stones. You can sling it and you can defeat your giant. You and I are not David in the story. Jesus Christ is. And that's the twist I didn't realize. Louis says in the book, he says, we're like David in in Saul's tent putting on Saul's armor. I think Louis gives us too much credit. I think we're the Israelites running in fear every time the giant stands up and says, I'm going to take you out. That's what I think we are as Christ followers, and it's sad. See, when when you believe that you're David in the story, that's a man... um, Man-centered interpretation of the story. When, when you believe that Jesus Christ is David in the story, that's a God-centered interpretation of this story. Now, in our story, the, the Israelites are at the Valley of Elah, and so this is the way they did battle. They would line up on this side. You have the army of the living God. This is the Israelites. On the other side of the valley, you have the Philistines, and their God are Dagon, Ashtoreth, and Beelzebub. Now, they made their own gods with their own hands, and Dagon was their main god. He had a fish body. He had the head of a man and hands of a man. I just think when somebody's smoking too much peyote, this is what they come up with a god as a god. We're going to have a fish god, man head, man hands. And we're going to say that he is in charge. Now, these are very superstitious, so they would take their gods because they didn't believe their gods had enough power to to work from a distance. They had to have fish body with them. They God's going to protect us if we bring him with us. And they're very ruthless. And they actually had superior technology. It's kind of why the Israelites were up in the hills because the Philistines had, had chariots. And they're like, come on up here in the rocks and the trees and try to catch us. And Philistines, come on down here on the valley. And everybody's just standing there. Now, as we come to the pages of Scripture, there's zero fighting going on. What is happening, you need to read this, 1 Samuel 17. What is happening is that every day the Israelite army gets up and it says they put on their armor. And then they do the battle cry as they're going out to wait for Goliath. So they're like, I don't know what the battle cry is, victory! And then they go out there and they cower. Right, And then when the nine-foot, nine-inch giant Goliath comes out to taunt them, here's what the Scripture says. I'm not making this up. 1 Samuel 17, 24. When the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Not victory. Ah! You go after him. You go after him. Day after day, Goliath yells insults at at Saul, at the Israelite army, and at their God. Because our fish God is better than your God. No one will ever come fight him. Every day, he comes out and he says, come on, one of you, just one of you, come fight me. And if you win, we'll be your servants. If Goliath says, if I win, you'll be our servants. Every day, crickets. Well, first, it's the, it's the run away from battle cry, ah, and then crickets. Right, because victory, come fight me, ah. And I think Goliath's like, really? No one. For how many days? Do you remember how many days? 40 days this has been going on. 40 is a significant number in the Bible, whether it's 40 days or 40 years. What you need to understand is that there's 40 days of suffering. And then on the 40th day, there's deliverance. So David shows up. Guess what day it is? Hump day? No, it's the 40th day. For 39 days, the Israelites have been intimidated, defeated. 
one single bad voice had them shut down completely. And I think there's a lot of people that are listening today that can relate to that. There's a single bad voice that's whispering in your ear. It could be, could be the voice of your mom or your dad from years ago. They may be dead and gone, but that voice still haunts you. You're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You've been battling this same voice over and over and over again. And like the Israelites, you've been believing that voice. You've been running away in fear, and you've lost the fight before you even show up. Remember. Remember. See, the problem that Israelites had was they didn't remember. Remember, God brought them out of Egypt without them ever having any weapons. It was at night. God killed the, the firstborn of all the people who didn't have the blood of the lamb on the, on the doorposts. And they went out, and, and it was so bad that the, the Egyptians were like, get these people out of here, that they said, hey, can you give us some supplies? We don't have anything for the journey. And the Bible says that the Israelites plundered the Egyptians with no weapons whatsoever. Just go, get out. Take my TV. Take my whatever. Go. Please get out of here because we don't like your God, and he doesn't like us. When they got to the Red Sea, um, Pharaoh just changed his mind, was going to come chasing them. Remember what God did? He said, Moses, stand up, hold up your hands. God parted the Red Sea, and all of the millions of Israelites walked across on dry ground. And then God says, turn around. They turn around. Here comes the Egyptian army. What does God do? Boom! The waters come back together, and all of Egypt's army is wiped out like that. And they didn't even have weapons and then they're supposed to go in the promised land, but they, they listened to the 10 spies. They didn't. So they wander around for 40 years. God keeps them alive. The Bible tells us that over those 40 years, that their clothes and their shoes did not wear out. God protected them. Then when it was time to come into the promised land, Moses didn't get to come in. Joshua gets to come in. He says, take the, the Ark of the Covenant. When the, when the priests step into the, the Jordan River, it was at flood stage, by the way, so it's several hundred yards wide. When they touch the water this time, it dams up 18 miles upstream, and they walk through on dry ground. Then they go around Jericho, the mighty walled city, and the whole battle plan, let's walk around. One time, each day for six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times, and then at the end, shout, Aah! what happens? The walls fall down. And they forgot. And then God drove out all these different people, and they forgot about it. What they forgot was God always comes through for his people. But they'd forgotten. Seeing this big, loud champion was enough for them to lose sight of the power of their God, and it's enough for you too. But what you need to know is God always has a plan. He always has a plan. On the 40th day, a champion showed up with the first ever DoorDash delivery. I'm not making this up. His dad said, take this picnic basket. DoorDash, David, Old Testament. You just think things are new. So he takes the picnic basket of meats and cheeses, and he leaves it with the, the uh, uh, attendant, and he goes to see his brothers. And, and the moment he's... Sec- so his three oldest brothers are at the war. So David's really young. His other brothers aren't at war, so they're probably not old enough to be at war. So his three oldest brothers are at war. He catches up with them, and, and right as he says, hey, how's it going? Here comes Goliath. <laughs> And he says some things about them and says some things about their God. And David can't believe his eyes. He can't believe his ears. He says, who is this guy and why are you letting him talk to you like that? David says, I'm going to take him out. Now, if you have older siblings, you know how this went over. You're the baby of the family. 
And the oldest, Eliab, but we're going to talk about him in a couple of weeks. Boy, have you lost your ever-loving mind? Get your booty back home before we tell dad. David's like, that's the, that's the G-rated version, by the way. That's the church-rated version. And David's like, can I even ask a question? David hadn't lost his mind. In fact, David was the only one thinking clearly. The whole Israelite army, David's the only one thinking clearly. Some teenager, I think he's maybe 13, 14 years old. I don't think he's reached puberty yet. David had been trained for this day. See, part of his training was watching the sheep, but while he was out there, he had a lot of free time. And he wrote songs, and he sang songs. And I think he practiced his, his sling every day during the downtime, and he got really, really good at it. I think he played his harp when he had the opportunity. And on two different occasions, David had already fought and killed two other giants. Did you know that? Two other giants. So his record in the UFC was 2-0. and The ultimate fighting championship, he'd killed a lion and he'd killed a bear. God was training him. See, when you're a shepherd out in the field and something or someone comes along and steals something from you, who are you going to call? Giant busters, lion busters. That's good enough. You're going to kill. Thank you. Good job, Nate. There's no 911. There's no, are no lion busters. Lion busters. He went and killed them. He was in God's fighting championship. And God was training him for this day. So for 40 days, not a single man of the mighty Israelite army would stand up to Goliath. So when news comes to the king, hey, 40th day, we have a volunteer. He brings him in. Don't you know Saul was disappointed? A little boy, prepubescent. If he's drinking something, this is when he spews it. You're going to fight Goliath. Yep. Go on, little boy. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. I've already fought and killed a lion and a bear. And Paul goes, a lion and a Saul, a lion and a bear? Hey, maybe you are qualified. You know who should have been fighting? Saul. He, the Bible tells us he's a foot taller than everyone else in Israel. And he chooses a boy. And he says, okay, you're the only one that's standing up, so I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you have a chance, but at least put on my armor. So can you see Saul's probably 6'6 six, six or so? I'm assuming David is like 4'8". And he says, here, put on my armor. Can you just... Dude, that would have been the funniest part of the movie. And he says, no, I can't do this. I'm going to take him out the way God trained me. And so... David grabs five, five smooth stones from the creek and he runs out to face Goliath. And Goliath is insulted. Nine foot nine, nine inches tall. He's like, this is the best you can do? A boy? And the Bible tells us that he has his, his staff, so probably his shepherd's crook with him. <laughs> You're coming at me with a shepherd's crook. I'm going to rip you apart and feed you to the birds. Because, see, that's what, that's what giants do is when they see you, they shout because they've got nothing else. They're bullies. And David, I love David. This boy, he's not intimidated at all. Look what he says. He shouts back. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord God, the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord. Who did he say? This day, who did he say? 
The Lord will deliver me into your hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know. Who's going to know? That there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here, all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword and spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is whose? The Lord's. And he will give how many of you? All of you into my hands. Even though we're not David in the story, right? We're not David. We need to know this next twist. And the second twist is David's motivation was the fame of God. And this is huge if you're going to have victory over your giant. Now, before that day, before David volunteered and he goes out to face the big bad Goliath, he wasn't in any danger. DoorDash doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, evil in that day. He could have dropped off his basket, gone back home and said, Dad, your boys are fine. They're scared, but they're fine. Absolutely nothing's happening. For the 40th day, he's coming out yelling, we're running, ah! Same thing's happening, Dad. He could have done that. But when he heard what Goliath said, something snapped in the young shepherd boy, and he was offended by what Goliath said about Israel's God. David was thinking, he didn't know this song, but this, when I was thinking about this story, in my mind, David, the guy who wrote most of the Psalms, the, the songwriter, the worship leader, I think he was thinking, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, and if our God is for us, who can ever be against us? And if our God is with us, what can stand against? You see, sometimes you need to worship before you face your giant. And David had been practicing that. That's not been the mindset most of us have. Most of us are begging God to get rid of our giants so we can be free. God is interested in your freedom, but it's secondary to his glory. As long as my motivation is just to be free, God, free me from drugs, free me from alcohol, free me from pornography, free me, free me just so I can be free. God, God's not going to act. But when you say, God, I am sorry for dragging your name through the mud, and I want victory over this giant so that everyone will know there's a God of New Life Community Church. There's a God, Doug Washburn, and I want everybody to know about that God. God says, that's the person. I'll act on their behalf. He wanted God's fame to be declared for all to see. And one of the biggest problems was that Israel always forgot the glory of God. Now, several chapters before in 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites were in a battle with, you guessed it, the Philistines. They didn't have a king yet, so Eli was the, the high priest, and, and he wasn't a very good high priest, and his sons were hideous. His sons were named uh, Phineas and Hopni, and, and they were horrible young men, and he didn't do anything. He allowed them to come into the temple and profane the temple, and, and God was not happy with Israel. And, and actually, the high priest and his sons, they were kind of a microcosm of the whole nation of Israel. They were, they were giving lip service to God, and God was ticked off. And so when the Philistines came to fight them, God let them be defeated. And so the, the Israelites came up with a bright idea. They didn't say we should bow down and pray to God. What they said was... <gasps> We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of where God would come and visit them during the times of Moses. God had not been at the Ark of Covenant for a long time. Indiana Jones was looking for the Ark of Covenant, but God wasn't there. 
And so they said, let's go get the ark, because if we have the ark, our lucky rabbit's foot, nobody can defeat us. And so they bring the ark down, and, and brilliant idea, let's let the wicked sons of Eli, uh, Hopni and, and Phineas, let's, let's let them bring it. And that'll please God, and then God will have to act on our behalf. So they bring it down. you got to read this story in, in 1 Samuel 4. As they bring it down, the Israelites see it, and it says they shouted out with such a shout that the earth shook. Yes, our God is coming. You're in trouble now. And, and the Bible actually says that the Philistines heard the shout, and they said, we're in trouble now because a God. Now, they didn't say capital G. They said G, lowercase, because they thought all these different gods. They said a God has come into their camp, and we've heard of this God. They said we've heard of what he did to the, to the Egyptians. That was 300 years before this battle. See, when we do things right, people will hear for generations about our God. And so their, their leaders are ruthless. They said, you will fight them. And so they go and fight even though they're scared. And they actually defeat the, the Israelites because God wasn't with the ark. God didn't tell them to take the ark like it was some lucky charm. And they were defeated. And the Philistines take the ark of God, the ark of the covenant. They take it back with them. And they take it to Fishboy's temple, Dagon. They take him in there because they said, our God is stronger than your God. And they take the ark of the covenant in. They put it in the temple of Dagon. And, and the Bible tells us the next day that the statue of Dagon, the fish boy with head, human head and hands, is on his face before the Ark of the Covenant the next day. And the priests come in, they go, hmm, I guess we should set him back up. Because when you make a fish boy God, he can't get himself back up. So they put him back up in front of the Ark of the Covenant. The next morning, the fish body was before the ark of God and the head and the hands were cut off and piled up it says in the uh, in the threshold of the temple and so the the, uh, the priests come and they go this is curious and then for years they wouldn't even step on the threshold because they said that God has whooped our fish boy and so we can't even step on the threshold because we'll offend our fish boy God and then God started sending this plague. People start dying right and left. And they're like, so then they call everybody together. Like, where should we send it? Oh, let's send it to, they had five main cities. So they start sending it to the other cities. And when the ark gets there, everybody gets sick and starts dying. And finally, like, we got to get rid of this thing. So they take two calves that, that weren't even, um, they hadn't been separated from their mother. They put two calves and they say, if we put this ark on it and these calves leave their mother and go back to Israel, we'll know that that God is the real God. And what happens? They take it back to Israel. And people learn. See, here's the deal. God is real serious about his glory. And when there's nobody to fight for his glory, God will fight for his own glory. God's like, I'm not going to be taunted by a rock. And I would have just loved, I wish we had video surveillance of when he took Dagon and went, chopped his head off. Because I think he just kind of did it like this. And I think he went and blew, the, blew his head and hands into the threshold. And Fishboy's body was right in front of the ark of God. Fishboy on your face now. In the valley of Elah, there was somebody who would defend the honor of God. One boy. Out of the millions of people in Israel, one boy said, nobody's going to talk about my God like that. 
And so he says, this day, says to Goliath, the Lord will hand you over to me. I'm going to cut off your head and the rest of you people, bird food. And then he did it. Now, we're going to look more at this story in the weeks ahead, but, but here's the third twist that you need to understand. Your giant is still dead. Is dead, but it's still deadly. Your giant, let me say that again, your giant is dead. The one that's been whispering to you, you're going, wait a minute, my giant's whispering to me right now. My giant was whispering to me on the way. The reality is Jesus defeated sin, death, and hell at the cross. If Satan was a snake, and he's been described that since the garden as a serpent, Jesus defanged him. If he was a lion and bear, he took the teeth out the claws. That'd be kind of fun. Hang out with a toothless lion and clawless lion, that wouldn't be so bad. The only way that your giant can still have power in your life is for you to throw open the door, say, come in, and you to take the fangs and self-inject with poison. Satan is a liar. He's been defeated. We know the end. We already know. Book of Revelation. He's done. In the meantime, though, he's whispering, and you're buying it. Jesus isn't going to go back on the cross and be crucified all over again because he missed your giant. Oh, missed one. No, he defeated them all. The problem comes when you worship and you still have a snake wrapped around your arm. Or you're at home and you're worshiping and you still allow the poisonous snake heads to pile up all around. That's just foolish. David rushed towards Goliath, slinging the spear, let the rock fly. The Bible says the rock sunk into Goliath's forehead. It's the only place that was, that was unprotected. Verse 50 tells us that Goliath was dead before he hit the ground. If this had been a pay-per-view event, you'd have been ticked off because this is a 10-second battle. Well, that was a rip-off. But then, verse 51, David says, says David runs over, takes Goliath's sword because David didn't have one. And imagine how big this sword is. Pulls up and chops his head off. And I just think, I don't know, I think he had, it took a while. I don't think he, he was strong enough to do it in one. <laughs> Why did David do that? Well, I think he did it for both armies. Because when Israel saw it, they gained courage. But he also did it for the Philistine army. See, I think he pulled up the head and said, this mouth... His mouth was moving just a few seconds ago. For 40 days, this mouth was taunting the living God. He ain't now. He's dead silent, pun intended. It's kind of cool because later after the, the Israelites rushed down, because they, the two armies reacted very differently. Israel says, we're going to kill him. They chase him, kill him. It becomes the valley of death. Death valley for the Philistine army. The Philistines, ah! They now have the runaway from battle cry, and they're killed for, for ages. And, and it says that the birds of the air and the, the animals, the wild animals, fed off their carcasses. <laughs> the vast majority of them died that day. And what's interesting is later, David is called to the king's tent. He goes to Saul's tent, and he's still carrying the head. <laughs> it is gross. Yeah. Because it says, he walks into the king's tent, still carrying Goliath's head. I think he wanted the king to know. 
this guy's never going to bother you again. That's what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The only way your giant has power in your life is if you let him have power in your life. Your giant has been defeated. But if you're going to live in victory, you've got to join. There's two confessions that you need to be a part of this process. First confession is I have a giant. Some of you haven't admitted that. Oh, I don't have an alcohol problem. I don't have a drug problem. I don't have a pornography problem. I don't have a whatever problem. When you come out and admit it, and I'm not saying you need to stand up here before the church and, and tell everybody you're a giant, but you need to tell someone. And here's, here's what's going to happen when you tell someone. They're not going to be very surprised. They've known for years that you have a giant. They're going to be relieved that, that you're about to do something about it. See, when your giant is in the dark, he has all kinds of power. When you bring your giant into the light, everybody around is going to see your giant's already dead. Judged at the cross. Second thing, second confession, is you have to pray it this way. I come at you in the name of the Lord God. I'm not praying to be free just so that I can be free. I'm, pray, I'm praying to be free so that everyone will know there is a God. I follow him. Now, here's something that, that you don't know, because if you did know, this would change your life. The giants in your life already know about Jesus, and they tremble. The giants are not afraid of you. So you have to come in the name of the Lord God. And even the archangel Michael, this is in Jude, when he was arguing with Satan over the body of Moses, did not bring accusations against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. If the archangel needs to say, the Lord rebuke you, I think many of you need to say, the Lord rebuke you. The next time your giant starts whispering in your ear, now, last thing is Jesus died at the place we call Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So I want you to think about when he died, all the skulls of the giants are laying there. And, and let me give you a word of caution. Those, those skulls are like the snakeheads, the poisonous snakeheads that are laying there. And if you go walking around amongst the skulls, you're probably going to get bitten. And the, the involuntary movement of the fangs is probably going to inject you. So it's kind of foolish to go hang out with dead skulls. But you know, when Jesus was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, he was tempted. And then he says, be gone, Satan. In Luke 4, 13, here's what it says. This is a word of caution to us. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You're going to say, some of you are going to say today, the Lord rebuke you. And your, your giant is going to leave, but he's looking for the next time. And the next time is going to be when you've been rejected, when you don't feel well, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're lonely. And the next opportunity is going to come back and he's going to start whispering again. As long as we're on this planet, we have to continually confess, I have a giant and I come at that giant in the name of the Lord God. You do that, then when your time is done, you'll be free forever. And people will say, I want to know the God he followed. I want to know the God she followed. See, from this story, we, we learn that God has, has power over all the giants, whether it's fear, depression, financial issues, doubts of faith. If we know him well enough, we can step out in faith and we can say, the Lord rebuke you. But we can't trust someone we don't know. And many of you don't know him well enough to trust him. 
The way you know him is you commit to Bible study, personal Bible study. You commit to small group. You commit to worship. You commit to prayer. And you commit to a group of people, whether it's Celebrate Recovery, Men's Study, Women's Bible Study, um, whether it's small groups, you commit to a group of people and say, I'm going to grow. And then Jesus will lead you into freedom. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've given us in your word the pathway to victory. And we don't have to fight the giants ourselves. You've already won the victory. Help us learn what it means to be under your authority and to come in the name of the Lord God so that we will see victory for your glory so that 300 years from now, someone will say, I've heard of that God and what he did at New Life Community Church. Lord, make us into a group of people that takes your word seriously and takes your glory seriously. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.